Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. That's a wrap for the... And hello everyone, this is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist, for another episode of the Candida Chronicles. And this is um, an interesting topic we have today, which we've actually had some requests for. We're going to be talking about self-treating for Candida, which is a very interesting, this is a very interesting topic. Uh, because at, at first, when we approach this, looking at the data that we have in the Biamonte program, you would conclude quickly it's impossible to self-treat because there is no way that the average layperson would have the experience or the access and knowledge to testing and to different treatments in order to be effective. But there are some things that someone can do that can help them. So we are going to look at this today from two different viewpoints. The first viewpoint that we're going to take up is what can a person do to self-treat that can be somewhat successful or at least give them some type of relief or improvement in their condition. And of course, the very first thing that the person can do, which they have reasonable amount of control over is the diet. While the diet is often where most people fail, the diet is something that the person actually has the most control over, which can helpful, hopefully control their symptoms. Now, the candida diet can never cure a true legitimate case of chronic candida. And I've stated this before in other podcasts. The reason why this is, this is true is that the candida diet can only reduce the activity of candida, but it's not possible to starve candida to the point of total elimination. And the reason for this is that candida albicans and other strains and species of candida literally grow a root-like system which uh, attaches itself to the lining of your intestinal tract and taps in to the blood vessels there in the intestinal tract. And when it does tap into these blood vessels, it draws glucose from the tiny capillaries that are there. And that's how it remains alive when it's in the fungal form. There's a difference between the fungal form and the yeast form. We're really just going to address the fungal form because that's the form that you find candida in in your intestinal tract when it's in a chronic growth. So even if a person was to go on a fast, 
and eat absolutely nothing, if someone did a water fast, let's say, their bodies would still break down their own muscle tissue and convert some of that muscle tissue to glucose, and that would be good enough to keep the blood sugar normal for, the, for most periods of time. And that would be all the candida would need to draw upon in order to stay alive in the fungal form in the intestinal tract. It doesn't make any difference how long you were to fast on water for it because as long as your body was to keep your glucose levels in somewhat of a normal range, the candida would still draw on that sugar in order to keep itself alive. Um, if you were to go on some type of fast and if your blood sugar was to go below normal, you'd probably pass out. Um, and the candida would still be able to draw enough glucose from your bloodstream to stay alive. So the diet is never going to kill candida. But the diet will reduce candida and reduce its activity. And diet certainly will aggravate candida. If you eat a high sugar, high carbohydrate diet, the candida will flourish and prosper and grow and reproduce and therefore produce more and more symptoms. So while the diet won't cure the candida, the immediate thing a person can do who has candida is to get on a strict diet of low carbohydrates, low sugars, avoid foods that are fermented, and the person is apt to find they will have an improvement in their symptoms. Now, they're not going to necessarily feel cured. It may not handle all their symptoms, but they will probably first start to notice that their, the fogginess that they have in their head starts to improve. Their digestive system will start to improve. Their energy will improve a bit. And in general, they'll just feel less reactive and less autoimmune. In someone who's trying to control their candida condition with diet, I would not recommend going above 60 grams of carbohydrates per day. Um, that would be far too much to do, and that's apt to cause symptoms to flare up if the diet is the only modality the person has that they're using. If a person is on a what I, what I would refer to as a legitimate candida treatment, including antifungal substances which are effective they can go as high as 150 grams we allow people on our program up to 150 grams of carbohydrates per day but we are also at the same time having them on our treatment plan which is highly effective so that doesn't hold true of people who are just doing the diet if the person's only doing the diet i wouldn't recommend going past 60 carbs per day So there is the, probably the most important thing that can be done if you're self-treating to control your symptoms. Get on the diet. And get on the diet with the understanding that you're not going to cure it, you're only controlling it, however. And also with the understanding that you go, once you go off the diet, your symptoms could return in just a few days. I've heard stories of people who were on the diet for months, had their symptoms down dramatically, and went off the diet and had their symptoms return within 12 hours. So just keep that in mind if you're trying to do that. The next thing a person can do 
is try to control their environment as best they can. If the person lives in an environment which is toxic with molds and other, let's say, allergens, to rectify that would help their symptoms because they would be less reactive environmentally. This is something people have control over to a greater or lesser degree. But any candida patient who notices, notices that he is reactive to his environment, whether it's his own or others, can do something to control the environment which would then keep his symptoms down. You certainly wouldn't want the person to use colognes and perfumes on his body. You wouldn't want him to enter smoke-filled environments or environments that have just been cleaned and have a lot of uh, inorganic cleaning solutions and cleaning solution odors there because the person is apt to react and be chemically sensitive to those things. Uh, so this is a second thing that one could do would be environment. So, so far we have diet control and environment. Next thing, which is something to consider when you're self-treating is stress. You don't want to put yourself in a lot of stressful situations or you don't want to do things in life that are going to increase your stress because stress elevates cortisol, which is a stress hormone and cortisol causes candida to spread in a similar way that estrogen also causes candida to spread. So this is not a good thing to do. Avoid stress when you have candida, especially if you're self-treating. There are various products out there on the market which have the ability to lower your cortisol output. And these are good things, these may be good things to take if you have stress. You can't necessarily control the stress yourself. And you notice that you get worse when you're under stress. Anyone who notices that their sleep is worse when they're under stress, and that they feel a little bit anxious, and particularly if their candida symptoms worsen under stress, you certainly want to keep yourself off stress as much as possible. Try to resolve whatever stresses you have. And don't put yourself in new situations which might generate more stress. Because that's apt just to make the candida flare up more. Okay, now we come to the point of treatments and supplementations or medicinal things you can take. And the first thing is the person who is self-treating is not operating using a test, in most cases, a test of any kind. This is a person who's filled out questionnaires online. They've determined that they most likely do have candida. So they're gonna self-treat. If the person has done the diet and seen an improvement from the diet, the odds are he's right, he does have a candida overgrowth. Now when it comes to self-treating, the biggest mistake that people make is they'll take some type of antifungal medicine, whether it's given to them by their doctor or whether it's something they buy online on the internet, and they'll take it continually for days and days and days. And if you followed my treatment plans on the website or have followed these podcasts, 
the first thing that you'll recognize here is the reason why we say this is a very bad thing to do is because this is what causes the candida to then become drug resistant and causes your medication to stop working. So that is a very bad thing to do. You want to make sure that whatever medicines you use when you treat your candida, whether they're pharmaceutical or whether they're botanical, you must rotate the medicines. Whatever the medicine is you, you choose to use, you want to make sure that it's rotated, um, let's say, every four to seven days so that you don't cause drug resistance. Because you're apt to, if you continue to take the same medicine every day, you will cause drug resistance, the medicine will stop working, and you will cause your candida to mutate into more of a advanced, or let's say super strain. This is something you obviously don't want to do. So if you're taking a candida medicine, Again, whether it's botanical or whether it is a pharmaceutical, you must rotate the medicine with other medicines in a four-day or seven-day cycle. The next subject would be, well, what kind of medicine are you going to choose or take? Well, since the person is self-treating and they, have, they don't have a test of any kind, to look at, it's probably not really going to matter. And the reason why I say this is because how we determine in the, with the Biamonte method in the Biamonte Center what medicines are going to work better on one person as opposed to another is based on our home urine test. And what the home urine test tells us that we can make these decisions is the home urine test gives us parameters which tell us whether or not the person would need to lean more towards an antifungal which also handles parasites, more towards an antifungal which also handles harmful bacteria in the intestines, or more towards an antifungal which uh, addresses intestinal candida more so than, let's say, systemic candida or candida which is moving through the person's system and is not limited to the intestine. Normally, this type of candida uh, that the person has is moving through the lymph system into the liver and spleen and then making its way throughout the body. Now, in the Biamonte Center, we've made a study for many years of what medicines are better for someone who has excess bacteria in the intestinal tract, harmful bacteria, who has parasites and candida existing simultaneously, and who has these other conditions that I've mentioned. Because the person's self-treating, they're not going to know, they don't have the availability of just differentiating what their case is, so there is no way that they could possibly, therefore, uh, determine which of these medicines is better. So at this point, what I'm going to do is delineate what order medicines are taken. And since it's not going to be possible for the self-treating person to determine which is best because they don't have our urine test, we can at least go through which ones are, could be taken in what order. 
because that would be somewhat helpful. Um, the first thing that one always wants to do when you're addressing candida is you want to take intestinal substances which have the ability to mechanically eliminate candida and debris from the intestinal tract which the candida could hide in and therefore feed it. This is essentially what the phase zero program does that we use on the Biamonte method. The phase zero program helps to eliminate parasites that are clinging to the intestinal lining. It helps to eliminate waste materials which are there, which the candida will feed on if they're just allowed to sit there. So, if we can do something, or take something, which is going to mimic phase zero, this would be the first thing that the person would want to do. Now, essentially what phase zero is, for the most part, it's an intestinal cleanser. So, the first thing that you'd want to concentrate on and this self-treatment plan would be the use of intestinal cleansers of some kind to try to do a clean sweep of your intestines before you start to operate in any other type of treatment. That would be a, a mimic or a parallel to the phase zero program. The recommended time for someone to do that uh, should be at least a month. Doing an intestinal cleanser for a good month would be long enough in most cases to clean out the intestines enough to allow the next set of substances to work better. Doing this in conjunction with colonics would be an excellent way to proceed because the colonics would definitely help the intestinal cleansers to work better and in using the colonics you're going to be achieving the goals of phase zero much easier than you would have without them. So let's say we have a person who does about a month or so on the phase zero and a month on colonic treatments in conjunction with the phase zero. This is a good program. This is essentially mimicking what phase zero is doing. But keep in mind, again, at the Biamonte Center with, on our phase zero program, we have various versions of phase zero. We have versions for phase zero for people who have ulcers or intestinal problems, uh, for people who have, let's say, who have known cases of parasites and intestinal worms where they've actually seen them in the stool. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's not something you can necessarily mimic because you're not going to know what all those avenues are in the treatment. But to... Do, do this as close as possible would be a good idea using the intestinal cleanser, using the, intest the colonic treatments, using diatomaceous earth as well. It's a, that's a, a substance that we use in phase zero, which anyone can take. And the diatomaceous earth is pretty effective at starting to remove a lot of the parasites and the yeast buildup that's in the intestinal tract. Now, because diatomaceous earth and other products like it work mechanically, 
you do not have to worry about developing a resistance the way you would with other substances. Because these substances are working in a mechanical sense. They're physically scrubbing and removing the microorganisms. They're not trying to poison them the way your standard drug treatments would be doing. So this is quite different, you see. So if a person does the intestinal cleansers, takes the colonics, takes the diatomaceous earth, they will mimic to some degree the effects that phase zero is going to have. So next we would move to the person attempting to treat themselves in the style of phase one. Now phase one of the program deals with intestinal and systemic levels of candida. And in phase one, we're looking to destroy candida, which is anywhere in the body. We're also using substances which we know will probably destroy about 70% of the person's total candida load that they have. Some examples of this would be lomation, or sometimes it's pronounced lomaticum. This is an herb discovered by the American Indians, very effective at, as an antiviral and an antifungal. And it was once used to treat a condition that the Indians recognized they called furry tongue. A uh, furry tongue we now know as being thrush, which can, which can occur vaginally or in the mouth. And in the, in the mouth, when fur, furry tongue occurs, um, essentially the tongue looks white and basically furry. It's very painful. It's essentially like having a vaginal yeast infection in your mouth. Lomation is highly effective, time proven, by the American Indians at being able to reverse this condition. Again, though, you would not want to take it more than uh, seven days to make sure that you're not going to cause any type of drug resistance. Taking it for seven days and then shifting to some other antifungal would be the appropriate thing to do. Now, speaking of other antifungals, We also can look at the use of some of the traditional herbs, which are antifungal and anti-yeast. One of them is Powdarko. Uh, Powdarko doesn't happen to be one that we use. It's not one that we use in the Biamonte method because it tends not to be strong enough for a lot of the cases that we get. But um, it's, generally speaking, it still is uh, an effective herb that could be used. It's normally taken as a tea or an herbal extract. And it's relatively effective against candida albicans. I had not found uh, Powdarko or Tahibo tea, either, either one, um, to be very effective against other strains of candida. I found them to be mostly effective against candida albicans. So if it happens to be that your, your case is mostly candida albicans, that this is one you could rotate with lomation. Hydrogen peroxide is another substance which is typically used on phase one that someone could rotate with lomation or palo Food-grade hydrogen peroxide, of course, would be the only type that you would use. And this can be very effective in eliminating yeast and viruses.
So these are examples of some of the items that someone could take in a rotated form that is going to mimic what we do on phase one. You're using substances which are going to absorb into your bloodstream and which have the availability of killing candida virtually anywhere in the body because they're going to be absorbed into the blood and absorbed into the lymphatic system of the body. So this is why we would say that they belong in phase one is because they have the ability to destroy candida anywhere in the body. There are a few other substances out there which can do that. Uh, there's an herb that is called spilanthes, which has this, has this uh, capability. People often ask um, about echinacea. Well, echinacea is not one of the herbs that we'd recommend for phase one necessarily, because echinacea is not a, uh, a direct antifungal, or it doesn't have direct antifungal actions. Echinacea is more of an immune stimulant, and what it does is stimulate your immune cells against the infection. It's not a direct antifungal. These other items that I've been mentioning here uh, actually are direct antifungals, and those are the ones you want to go with. Something like echinacea as an immune stimulant is valid to take uh, more in phase four of our program, which is where we're looking to boost or build up the immune system, it's not valid on phase one or phase two because it's not a direct antifungal. The idea of a direct antifungal as opposed to something like echinacea is the direct antifungal is bypassing your own immune system in order to directly destroy the microorganism which is out of control or overpopulating and having this effect on your immune system. If you have anyone listened to the last podcast we did, we discussed the term opportunistic infection. The types of medicines which destroy opportunistic infections are the types of medicines that I'm referring to here as direct antifungals because they're not seeking the help of your own immune system. They're not enlisting the help of your own immune system to do this. They're directly affecting the fungal infection. And in a sense, you could think of this as whether you had an immune system or not, these substances are directly going after and killing the infection in your system. Okay, so now let's move to what we try to accomplish on phase two. Well, on phase two, we're trying to destroy the candida, which is very deep in the intestinal lining. The only way, really, that you can do this is to use substances which have the ability to absorb into the lining of your intestinal tract to kill the candida, which has essentially gotten in there. Now, these types of substances which do this best are fatty acids. There are typically three types of intestinal fatty acids that are used on the Biamonte program on phase two. The first one is caprylic acid. Caprylic acid is one of the most common antifungals that are used. 
However, the caprylic acid that we use on the Biamonte program is a very specific one, which is very powerful, far more powerful than the average one that you're going to buy in the store. It's, uh, its availability is limited because it's only sold to health, to health practitioners. So if you've used caprylic acid in the past and you're hearing me talk about it now and you didn't get much of a result from it, understand we're using a different type or, or a different, um, I would say, formulation of caprylic acid, much stronger than what you had experienced when you used it. The second fatty acid that's used is undisalinic acid. Undisalinic acid is a fatty acid which is derived from castor oil. Caprylic acid is derived from coconut oil. And this substance has been said to be uh, 5 to 50 times more powerful than, um, uh, than caprylic acid. Um, I can't say that I've observed this myself. I've read this time after time in advertisements for undisalinic acid. Some of the typical names that you find undisalinic acid going by are SF722, Undesin. These are made by the Thorne Company. And as I said, I've heard this, that, they, that there are claims it's 50 times more powerful than caprylic acid. I can't say I have observed that directly. Um, we have many people who go on our phase zero and two program who will say that they get the worst die-off from the Micropril, which is the caprylic acid-derived product. Other people will get more die-off from the undesalinic acid products. I think it just really depends on the person in terms of where they're getting most of their die-off from. So I cannot, I can't go along and validate this, this uh, idea that the undesalinic acid is so much more powerful than the caprylic acid. Grapefruit seed extract called paramycocidin is another one that could be used on phase two. The paramycocidin is an extract of citrus seed, usually grapefruit seed. It's very effective in the intestinal tract. It's not absorbed systemically, so it would not be something used on phase one. It doesn't absorb into the intestinal cells as well as the undesalinic acid or the caprylic acid, but is still pretty effective in the intestinal tract to kill candida, parasites, and bacteria. Butyric acid is another intestinal antifungal. Butyrate, as it's known, is produced in your intestinal cells. It's basically produced via fermentation of carbohydrates and fiber in your intestines. And it helps the friendly bacteria grow, but also serves itself as an antifungal. And this is something we typically would use in phase two. Uh, zinc tannates are another antifungal that could be used in phase two. The zinc tannates typically are derived from plants. They have tannic acid as the active ingredient. The tannic acid is the same thing that you find in tea or coffee, which stains your teeth, brown, let's say. And this astringent matter is what kills these bad organisms. The tannates are especially effective when you have protozoa or bacteria, which cause diarrhea. But just generally, the zinc tannates are an effective intestinal antifungal. 
um, the length of time that somebody would do phase one or do phase zero is very difficult for me to say when you're self-treating. We know when it's time for someone to switch phases based on the Biamonte uh, Candida urine test that the patients do. Without the urine test, it's difficult to say. I could tell you that the average time a person has on phase one is maybe two to three months, and then they move to phase two, and an average time on phase two easily could be two to three months, and then they move to the probiotic step. But uh, in doing that, there can always be things that pop up that require your treatment being be altered, which you would not know if you were self-treating. When someone gets to the point when they're ready to move to a probiotic step, you would discontinue the intestinal cleansers that the person started taking and the diatomaceous earth that they started taking with phase zero. And they would then continue to rotate their intestinal antifungals, but they now must add prebiotics and probiotics. The prebiotics are more important in many ways than the probiotics because the prebiotics feed the friendly bacteria and really get them to spread. Think of it as being seed versus of some type of fertilizer or food. You can plant a billion seeds there, but if there isn't sufficient food to make those seeds, uh, let's say, grow and spread, then you're not going to really get anywhere. Examples of prebiotics would be FOS is the most commonly known one, or any, even any type of whey substance is a natural prebiotic. Fiber is a prebiotic. Um, fiber, which is combined with FOS and some other, uh, let's say, plant and vegetable extracts and fruit extracts, give the friendly bacteria what they need in order to grow and spread. A controversial point, which I think that we have uh, wrapped up on our program, is the use of bifidus bacteria. If you go back and listen to some of the earlier podcasts where I talked about some of the studies that we did within our practice on bifidus bacteria, you, get the, you will get the data on why I say that to take bifidus bacteria orally and depend on that as the way to re-inoculate your colon is a waste of time. When you use bifidus bacteria, you have to take it as a rectal implant. A rectal implant also could be looked at as an enema. You would take a, a few spoonfuls of the bifidus bacteria, put it in an enema bag, and put some water in there, and then take it as an enema and try to hold it as long as you can. This is the effective way of getting bifidus to grow again in your colon. And the studies that I did in the 90s, having people take bifidus bacteria and then observing the bifidus levels in their stool we found out that taking bifidus orally by mouth is not going to work. It's just simply too long of a runway for the bifidus to get through your mouth, through your intestinal tract, and survive to the degree where it's going to enter your colon and then start to repopulate. The fastest and the easiest way to get the bifidus to repopulate is just to take it as a retention enema or like an, an implant using an enema bag or an enema device of some type. This is what actually works. When, it, when you take a probiotic program that's working, the signs you want to look for are gas and bloating. Now, this is a double-edged situation because taking or having gas and bloating from probiotics also can be a sign that you still have too much candida for the probiotics to work. It also could be a sign that you still you have leaky gut syndrome 
and you're reacting allergically to the probiotics because of leaky gut. But on the other hand, probiotics normally will produce gas and bloating when you first start taking them, and that's normal. The gas and bloating should diminish every week until, let's say, in the fifth or sixth week, there should be little to none or little to no gas or bloating at that time. If the person is still reacting and still having gas and bloating, or if the gas and bloating is still is getting worse, the longer they're on the probiotics, then they're simply not ready for the probiotics. And again, I already see the emails coming in here asking these questions. So I'm going to interrupt what I'm saying right now just to answer one of them because I think this is a very good point the person's making. How is one to know whether or not they're ready for the probiotics? Well, if you're self-treating, it's difficult to know that. You, you won't know that necessarily if you're self-treating. Because when you're self-treating, you don't have a test that tells you your candida levels or your parasite levels or your bacteria levels or whatever are low and normal enough to then take the probiotics and expect the probiotics to then work the way they're supposed to. So keep in mind that we're talking here about the person who's trying to self-treat. We're not talking about the person who's doing this correctly who has a test and they're using the test as the guide. When you use the tests that we use at the Biamonte Center as an example, as a guide, all this becomes easy and all the, all the questions that we have to leave up in the air right now are answered by those tests. When you're self-treating, you don't have those tests, so that's a very difficult thing to conclude. You're basically playing it by ear, as we say. Uh, but the key thing is that if the person was having gas and bloating that continues and doesn't appear to get worse, then what they should do is put themselves back on the phase two where they're taking the MicroPro, the SF722, or whatever micro, uh, caprylic acid or undesalinic acid product they have, and back on the intestinal cleansers, uh, the intestinal cleansers that we would typically use on phase zero would be a psyllium, a bentonite, clay. Uh, they represent the most common forms of a phase zero intestinal cleanser. A person would need to go back to that step and remain on that step until they were then confident that they could try the probiotics again. Once the person goes on the probiotic program and they're on it for a while and the gas and bloating has receded, they probably have their candida as close to normal as you could get in doing it in this fashion. Uh, the person must stay on the diet throughout the entire time they're doing this. And it's especially important for the person who's self-treating to remain on the diet. There is no leeway when you're self-treating because you don't know what your parameters are. Now, as an example, if you're self-treating for candida and then you cheat and you have reactions after that, the only way or the only parameter you could use to differentiate how bad your cheat was would be how long it takes for you to recover from the cheat. When you're using testing, the testing immediately tells you what kind of damage you've created. And not everyone reacts the same. Some people are far more sensitive to the cheating than others. So it's not a guarantee that a person who cheats is going to have uh, a certain reaction as opposed to another because everyone is an individual and of course this is the 
hallmark of what we do at the Biamati Center and what we believe is that everyone is an individual and therefore everyone is going to respond differently. The only thing that I would say you can eliminate from that idea would be a person's reaction to GMO foods or person's reaction to the typical type of prepackaged bad foods that we have in America. Junk food, all people will react to the same. GMO foods, all people eventually will react to the same. Some people may be more sensitive at first. Other people may not notice it as much. But over time, your cells all will react the same because uh, processed junk food and GMO foods are intrinsically incorrect for the human body. They're not real. And therefore, your body's never going to accept them the way you would like. So the diet and cheating when you're self-treating is really something you want to completely avoid because if you try to cheat on the diet, you don't really know what your recovery time is going to be or how much that sets you back and then what you may need to do to compensate for that. A thing this person can do on the side when they're self-treating, which could help uh, let's say, prevent them from hitting into booby traps as they go along, would be trying to find a doctor, alternative doctor, or uh, something on the, some laboratory on the internet that will do some basic tests for you to rule out certain problems which will impede your results. If you have a doctor or you find a lab online that will do hormone testing for you, you want to do a hormone test which will look at your cortisol levels and all your basic hormones. If any of those hormones are really off and in the wrong area, that will prevent you from improving and making headway on your Candida program. A hair analysis is an excellent test because the hair analysis tells you the level of mercury and copper in your body, and those are things which easily booby-trap your progress or stop your progress. If, you've, if you recall... Several podcasts back, we talked about the thallium problem that our patient had encountered. Uh, our patient, Bert, who's a hero at this point to many people in, in the uh, practice, uh, Bert identified that he had thallium toxicity. Through his own research, sweat and tears, he found this out. He found that it was coming from healthy vegetables that he was eating, which are coming from the Midwest and from South America, that are thallium toxic. The stallium toxic metal was completely impeding his results on the candida treatment. If you were to get a hair analysis or a urine toxic metal test to discover whether or not your body is thallium toxic, this is something else that would aid your progress along as you're self-treating. Uh, stool tests sometimes can be purchased online. Uh, not the most easy thing to, to get because most of these tests need a doctor who's authorizing them. You can go to personal lab testing services. If you just do a search for personal lab testing services or do a search for MTB labs, you will find a website that offers testing to you directly without having to have a doctor or a health practitioner involved. You can order the test through them and then they will email you the copy of the test once the result comes back. Um, what will happen is if you go to that, that website, you can find the test you're looking for, order it, the 
lab sends the kit to you and you collect your samples at home and send it back to the lab and then the lab will then email you your results. Now you may need a practitioner to interpret this for you if you can't figure it out yourself. And this, the purpose of doing this type of test is that the, if you're, in particular if you're looking at doing a stool test, the stool test may, may reveal parasites or different harmful bacteria which you may have in conjunction to the candida which might be interfering with your progress. As I've said on a few podcasts, we found that people who have candida, who also have H. pylori, end up being some of the toughest candida cases to treat. And if this is your situation, you're, if you have both these organisms, well, you're not going to know it unless you do such a test. And in doing the test and finding this out, you then can go online and perhaps uh, find some products which could eliminate the H. pylori, which then makes it easier to get rid of your candida. Well, I hope I've given you some insight today into self-treating for candida. Um, the, the last thing that I would say to you is uh, it's completely unnecessary. The correct thing to do would be to call the Biamonte Center, schedule as a new patient, and do the program correctly. If for whatever reason you're unable to do that, self-treating becomes your next option. I've laid out for you today basic steps, things to look for, things to look out for. But it's not an easy road. Self-treating for candida has many, many, many deficits. The primary deficit is that the person themselves doesn't have the experience to interpret his own reactions or results. The person who's self-treating for candida doesn't understand that when they take antifungals and they feel much worse and all their symptoms get worse, that that's usually a die-off and it means the, the medicines are working. What the person typically does is abandon the program because it's making them sick and then they go off looking for some other solution. And they never address the one that was right in front of their eyes all the time. The person who's self-treating doesn't have testing available to them. So they really don't know when they're finished with one phase or one step and ready to move to the next. Largely on the internet, the companies that sell products for you to self-treat with will have all kinds of rave reviews from the people who've used them. But first off, you don't know that these people actually had candida. The people who take these products who claim that they were cured in a few weeks we don't know that they ever had candida in the first place because there's no test to prove it. In addition, there's no test to prove their candida ever actually went away. Their symptoms improved, and that's the rave result that you're reading about, but did their candida actually go away, and did their friendly bacteria come back to supplant that? You don't know that because this person is anonymous, essentially, and they have no testing to prove this actually occurred. Plus, when you read these reviews, you're not reading what happened with the person months and years later. This person easily, by the time you're reading the ad, could have had a complete relapse of candida because they were never treated properly in the first place. So what you're reading essentially are the changes in symptoms people experience as a result of taking these online products. And that's all it is. There is, no other, there is no other proof. There are no other actual true statistics 
that you're looking at other than people will write in and say their symptoms got better. This is very deceiving. When people base their improvement totally on symptoms, it's extremely deceiving because there's no proof that their actual condition is handled. The only proof you have is that they feel their symptoms are better. This is why self-treating is so difficult and why it, it will tend to always to be so unstable. Because the person doesn't have the proof in the test telling them that now it appears their probiotics have totally re-inoculated the intestines. The candida is now at the level it should be. Probiotics are strong. Therefore, we can say this is a case of candida which has been reversed. You, you have to have a test to prove that. So this is unfortunately the downside of self-treating. Everyone, thank you very much for joining us today. I hope you gained some valuable knowledge from this podcast. And we will be back on the air Thursday at 4 p.m. Have a good day. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. Michael holds a Doctorate of Nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.